0: Pharmacy Podcast Nation, we appreciate all you do every day. People who work in pharmacy make positive change possible, something AltiMed understands. AltiMed's Pen Needle AltiGuard Safe Pack helps people in pharmacy fulfill their roles as leaders for their patients and in their communities. AltiGuard Safe Pack Pen Needles are an FDA cleared product that provides 100 premium pen needles in a sharps container, all in one convenient packaged system. When you dispense the UltiGuard Safe Pack, you protect families and your community from sharps injuries and you remove medical waste from the environment. To learn more, visit UltiguardSafePack.com forward slash podcast. That's UltiguardSafepack.com forward slash podcast. When you dispense the Ultiguard Safe Pack, you choose positive change. You're listening. Listener. To the pharmacy podcast network.
1: Hello, and welcome again to Occupation Station. I'm Diane Donato, and our guest today, Scott Trillion. He is a 1985 graduate of Albany College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences, now the General Counsel, Secretary, and Chief Compliance Officer for Caratherapeutics Incorporated, which is a clinical stage biotechnology company. Scott, thank you so much for joining us today.
0: Well, thank you for having me, Diana. pleasure to be here.
1: We have a lot to talk about, a lot of questions to ask you, because you graduated from Albany College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences, became a community pharmacist, and also went back to law school. So where to begin? We have a lot we want to cover here. You started out as a community pharmacist. So what made you then decide to go to law
0: school? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, it's interesting because the question could actually be reversed. I actually always planned to go to law school. And at the time when I was considering to go to college, which was in the 1980s when I graduated from high school, the market for lawyers wasn't great. The market for the typical undergraduate degree for going to law school to prepare for going to law school at that time, was still pretty much political science, history, English, you know, kind of typical liberal arts sorts of curricula, and those markets were not good either. And so, honestly, I started looking around, trying to think, okay, how can I hedge my bet a little bit? And honestly, I think what really drew me to to the College of Pharmacy and pharmacy as, a, as an education was the community pharmacist. You know, I grew up in a very small town, and uh, at that time, there were not chains even in um, my community yet, and the pharmacists we I knew both the pharmacists who owned the two competing pharmacies, and they were really pillars of the community and, and really well respected. And so for me that resonated. I thought, geez, you know, wouldn't I love to be in that kind of a position, you know, where where I could really be viewed as someone that was you know important and helping in the community. And so I think that's kind of what drove me to, to look at pharmacy as, as an undergraduate.
1: What made you decide then to go to law school?
0: So what happened was, interestingly enough, so I went to, I went to, to the College of Pharmacy, I had a great five years there, learned a lot. And it was really, it prepared me well for law school. We can talk about that in a second because people always ask me about that. But yes, once I got out of, of college and I started working as a pharmacist, a couple of things at work there One is I did start working as a chain pharmacist and and just to be candid, I didn't enjoy it very much. And I still had this kind of hunger to go back to law school or to go to some sort of graduate level of education. And I still wanted to be a lawyer, and that was still kind of the vocation. And so I did. I was young. I was unattached. I was very flexible at that time. And so uh, I decided to go back to law school and, and take a shot at that.
1: What are some of the skills that translated? And I'm sure there must have been some ways you also needed to adapt.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because the pharmacy curriculum still, and, and certainly then, was not heavily driven around writing. And so there was always this concern you know, that I had, that when I got to law school, how would my pharmacy education translate into law school? And surprisingly, it it really translated very, very well. Because, you know, people will tell you, and I'm sure you've heard the the phrase, you know, that that law school teaches you to think like a lawyer. And it's not so much about learning a bunch of regulations and laws and and checklists. It's really about a a logic and and an approach to problem solving. And a pharmacy career, as it turns out, not surprisingly to those people who've gone through it, really, really does a good job of creating that kind of a mindset. So I honestly found when I got to law school, I was ahead of most of my peers who, while, you know, had very broad education in in history and political science and, and grounding in some of those areas, which I'm sure was helpful to them. I really, really found that the pharmacy curriculum had really prepared me well for law school, frankly, because when I got there, it had already started me down this path with the scientific method and, and kind of logical Problem solving, which is really the key to, to not just law, but many, many different professions and, and success out in the world.
1: We mentioned earlier that you're the general counsel, secretary, chief compliance officer for Carotherapeutics, but you have worked at many places along the way so far. You've worked at general practice law firms, you've also worked at pharmaceutical companies, you've worked at biotechnology companies. How then have some of those experiences at the different organizations differed?
0: I guess I'll answer that two ways. One is, is maybe how they differ, but also also how they kind of were similar. I'm, I'm a big believer in translatable learning. So I, I've never believed that there was a job that you could have. And I don't care what that job is, whether or not you're, you know, working as a high school, you know, a high school job as a, as a cashier at a retail store or, you know, working as a general counsel at Care Therapeutics. I've never believed that those jobs didn't have skills that you developed that were then translatable back to another job. Each of them differed a little bit in what the skill set that I had to learn, but they all had an underpinning that was common. And, and that honestly was healthcare for me. When I was at the law firm, I um, obviously was being trained to be a lawyer. I was at a big general practice firm. Uh, lawyers do a lot of research and writing when they start out, and I was doing a lot of that. It was just, frankly, a lot, a lot of work just learning basic. Rudiments of being a lawyer, very similar to when I was a community pharmacist for a couple of years before I went to law school. I was really learning the rudiments of practicing pharmacy. Then, when I left the law firm, I really was reacting to what I thought was a deficiency in my skill set. I didn't understand business very well. And so, you know, I'd worked as a pharmacist, but I really was focused on patient care. And then, you know, like most pharmacists are, I didn't really understand how to run a business or what the factors were that would drive the success of a business. Same thing with the law firm. I was practicing law for clients, but somebody else was managing all the business aspects. Didn't really understand that. And to me, I didn't feel like I could be a good lawyer without understanding business a little bit better. So that's when I went out and took a job as a director of pharmacy at a small HMO. And so that the difference there was now I was all of a sudden responsible. I was responsible for the pharmacy benefit. I was responsible for the profit and loss of that pharmacy benefit. So there were all sorts of intersections between kind of the health care and the, the patient care piece because we were an insurer providing health benefits to people. But the business aspect started to loom much larger. So that was really a crash course in business management. And then the last job, was kind of the last career change after that was on making a move into um, the pharmaceutical industry, which to some extent I think probably was the culmination of what I was, I was trying to look for. Yeah, it, because it, to me, it was just the greatest intersection of business, policy, ethics, altruism, you know, in terms of trying to provide health, you know, good healthcare options for people. So it, that was where I kind of I was able, I think, from my perspective, was tying it all together.
1: So Scott, describe your current responsibilities as general counsel.
0: Yes, so the general counsel of a company is just what it implies. It's the lead lawyer who is really advising a a company on all of the legal risks and and in my case the ethical risks I'm also the chief compliance officer that the company faces. So the challenge there is that it's, depending on what you're doing at the law firm, for example, you often specialize and, you know, when I was at the law firm, I tended to work on healthcare litigation. And, uh, you know, we defended physicians in medical malpractice suits and administrative actions and things like that, which is where I spent a fair amount of my time. And, and you become very specialized in that and, and, a, and a subject matter expert within that very specific area. As the general counsel at CARA, I'm responsible for managing all of the legal risks. And in the pharmaceutical industry, there are many, right? It's one of the most highly regulated Industries in the country, so we worry about product liability. We have to worry about intellectual property. I have to worry about uh, regulatory interactions. Obviously, the you know Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act, and then there's the the sorts of issues that come up with every company around we're publicly traded. So there's a whole component of the securities laws that that I manage the risk for, as well as the HR laws, um, you know, around uh, discrimination and wage and hour things and, and like that. So the challenge of it is that I need to know enough to be able to counsel and spot the issues. And I guess for me, I've always thought I need one of my most valuable skills is making sure that I know what I don't know um, so that I can uh, then get other experts to help out when, when sometimes the problems are identified. So what my day looks like at a biotech, for example, so at Kara we're a small company. I'm the only lawyer that's full time on the staff. I have a lot of outside lawyers that I that help me out, but uh, I may be working on a very routine kind of what I'd say a, an easy contract, or I may be conferring with the um, with the CEO as we plan a licensing deal that funds the company for the next year. So it, it really is a soup to nuts, unpredictable kind of set of issues that come up all during the day. Which I enjoy, you know. It's it's a work style issue, and uh, I, I like the unexpected. I like getting problems that I don't necessarily know the answer to when they come across my desk.
1: It sounds like it keeps it very interesting. Are there any other aspects that you would say are, are some of your favorite parts of the job?
0: I think the in the, this job, I think the favorite part is that that we're building something, right? So we're CARA is a clinical company. We are we're not commercial yet, although we did just uh, submit our first NDA to the to the FDA at the end of last year. So we're very hopeful now. But it it really is very gratifying to me, at least, to be building a business. So every day, the stakes are very, very real. And I like that. It's pretty raw. And and I guess I would harken back to my pharmacy practice a little bit you're a little bit more in it when you're practicing pharmacy, you know, you're right there and you're talking to patients. And that feeling of immediacy and impact uh, is very gratifying to me.
1: Career paths are something our listeners are really very interested in. And we're going to find out more about the road that Scott has traveled in just a moment. That's going to be right after this message
2: from Dr. Greg Dewey. What does student-centeredness mean? Isn't every college student-centered? No, every college is not student-centered. There are some colleges that are faculty-centered. There are some colleges that are research-centered. Student-centered is not a given but the student centeredness is about putting the student first and that's the lens that you have to have so if you create a one-stop shop where students can get all their registration and housing and all these things done one fell swoop that's student-centered may require more manpower may not be the most efficient thing but it's student-centered i can come in and teach at this high high level and blow the class away and they won't understand. A thing I'm saying, I might feel pretty good about how smart I am, but that's not student-centered. The student-centeredness teaching is getting down to their level, making sure they understand basic concepts before you go for it. Means I have to work harder as a teacher. The student experience is the entire scope of things that happen to them throughout their years in college. It's not just about their classroom work. It's what happens inside the classroom, what happens outside the classroom. It's about the connections they make. It's about the networks they build. It is about their ease of registering for classes or their experience in the, with clubs or athletics or how much they like the dining hall, also about what happens in the lecture hall. So it's the whole spectrum of things. And it's our goal is to make sure they have the best student experience possible that will set them up for successful careers as they go forward. (music)
1: We're back with Scott Terillion. He's a 1985 graduate. He's the general counsel, secretary, and chief compliance officer for Caratherapeutics. That's a clinical stage biotechnology company. Obviously, you've taken charge of your destiny, but at the same time, people's careers do evolve, and we're wondering. Were there any directions that were unexpected? Were there some unanticipated twists and turns along the way?
0: Um yeah, I mean, I think there always is. I guess it's the issue of perspective, on whether they're not, on whether or not they're expected or not. If you asked me, then would my career path look like it has, I would say, uh, no, certainly not. I, it's somewhat scary to think about I've actually changed my profession three times. And in most of those, changes there was resistance by the institution that i was in when i went to law school my grandfather was horrified he thought that being a pharmacist was certainly the highest attainment of respectability and going to law school was certainly not the right move in that regard and uh you know he was respectfully concerned about that decision when i left to go to law school the folks that i worked with in the community pharmacy were surprised they thought, well, you really like this, you're doing it Why are you making this move. When I left my law firm and took the job as the business manager, I had a parade of people coming in telling me that I was making a grievous error, a big mistake. And so you know, I guess that leads to the question, well, why were you making those decisions? And it's an interesting question. And it's one that I frankly have thought a lot about, you know, what drove me to make these decisions. And again, I think for me, it was the desire to keep learning. And so what what I found, and I think everybody's different in this regard, and I think it's important to understand where you come out on this as you're thinking about your career, I happen to believe that you have to learn to grow and, um, and that most of living is about learning. And so when I go back and look at every time I made a decision to make a move, it was probably colored by two basic principles. The first one is I'm bored and I'm not learning and I need to not be bored and I need to learn. So I need to make a move. Then the second guiding principle was, you know, as long as I'm my family's on board with this and we're thinking about it rationally with regard to the fundamentals of keeping, you know, food on the table. It's not such a big problem if it goes bad, you know, and you've probably heard this and people who have gone through, you know, adverse situations with their employment will often tell you, yeah, you know, it worked out okay. I'm actually better off. I got laid off, that was rough. We had six months where it was a little dicey, but now I'm in this great position and I love it. So I operated with those two basic principles that if, if I'm bored and not learning, I need to move on. And that if I'm, you know, reasonably smart about what I'm looking at and and kind of have a bit of a plan, which is another important thing, I think, if you're going to do kind of what I'm doing or what I did, you know, being optimistic that it's going to work out. And if it doesn't, you're going to be able to fix it anyway is really important. I think the second piece of it is I think you do have to have a bit of a plan, right? Because just the reality of of what other prospective employers look at, they want to understand what the story is. They may or may not judge the story, but that's okay if it's an honest story. So when you're making a move, what I always encourage people to say is, okay, now that you're making this move, what would you tell your next employer about why you made that move? And that story should be locked in when you make the move, because it's temporal, right? When you're making a decision, what drove that decision is then. Trying to make that up later is very difficult to do, and and prospective employers can see right through that.
1: I think that's very good advice. Your story is very inspirational. I know that people are looking for, well, how would I do some of these things that you have done? If students are considering industry jobs particularly, what would you then give them for advice?
0: Yeah, I think for industry jobs, it depends on where you are in your career. If it's your first industry job, then in general, I would probably try to go to a larger company where there are opportunities to jump as a pharmacist, especially if there where there are opportunities to kind of jump across different functional areas within the pharmaceutical company. So a company like Kara is a very good landing spot for somebody who is doing well and maybe feels like they're getting a little bit pigeonholed within a big company. They have some good skills. And then Kara, we're looking for people who wear multiple hats. It's hard to wear a multiple hat without any experience, right? So, for example, I was at Beringer Engelheim when I left the law firm. I was there for about 15 years. And the time that I was there, though, I was really in maybe four different positions, even within the legal department The positions. And the character of the job changed a lot. There are other people that I know that were pharmacists that were um, that were at Barringer, and were able to, you know, again, you've got to be motivated and you've got to be purposeful. But you can move around between departments, you know, from regulatory affairs but or maybe into medical information, which is a spot that is a great spot for uh, for pharmacists to start right out, Often even into marketing, certainly into sales, it, certainly into almost any of the manufacturing areas with regard to quality assurance and, and areas like that. Pharmacists are in all of those spots. So I would say um, look at a big company, start out where you think you have maybe the most interest. And then, again, after you get there, and this, you, know, you always hear this trope that you know, you're, you're the CEO of your own career. When that's true is when you're trying to figure out what you want to do within these companies. Because the reality is, when you go into a big company, you're kind of in the machine. And if you're doing well in your job, most companies will kind of keep you in that job. It's just the way it works. And so along the way... You are going to have to make hard decisions if you want to do what I did. Because I will tell you just a little anecdote. When I was at the law firm, I was starting to do a lot of intellectual property law, which I did not enjoy. I didn't like it at all. And at the law firm, I, I went in for a uh, annual review. You know, that was kind of your typical annual review. You know, this is good. This is what you should work on. And then at the end of it, they said, "Well, you know, okay, Scott, you know, what do you think? Where are you coming out?" I said, "Well, you know, I really don't like doing the intellectual property law. I like, do more litigation." And the people in the litigation department are willing to give me more litigation work, so won't that be great? And they said, Yeah, well, here's the thing. We need you in the intellectual property group, and we've got plenty of litigators. And while I think maybe you would be good at it, that's great. You're doing fine here, so that's probably where you're going to stay. And I said, Well, I got to be honest. If I keep doing intellectual property work, I I don't think I'll stay. And they said, Well, we understand. (laughs) And I always, by the way, I respect the law firm for that. It was exactly the right thing to do because they were honest with me. But it was a big risk. And then I, what did I do? I lost. And so, you know, there are times where you're going to have to make those decisions if you're going to make the kinds of moves in your career that are, if they look like they're surprising, there's a reason for that. And that is because it probably does take a little bit more. And so, you know, you want to, again, there's all kinds of other common sense things. Keep, you know, save money know, be in a position that you can make and take some risks when you make a move. But, uh, you know, again, if you're getting heavily into debt, and it's hard to be geographically mobile, you know, all those things weigh into your ability to, you know, to make those moves as you go through your career.
1: But it's good to hear somebody who has managed to make those moves using all of those tools that you suggest.
0: The other advice I would give is don't look at it in a vacuum, right? So when we left my wife and I, she had a practice, a law practice, in, uh we were in Rochester, New York, and she had a law practice up there at the time. And when we decided we would move down to Connecticut, uh, which we did to take the job at Berner and we needed to make the decision about where to live. And, and while you would think, yeah, okay, typically, you know, you're, you're going to say, okay, where can I get the most house for the money? Again, the realtors are constantly telling you move here, move there. We're in a suburb of New York. So we're about 45 minutes outside of New York City, so it's expensive. And when we got down here, it was we had to make a decision about where, when we made the decision about where to live, the issue was my wife at that time did not have a job when she got down here, and we were not interested in having to move every three or four years if we got new jobs. So we made the very purposeful decision to move to a suburb of New York so that we could access jobs without, potentially, without moving. And again, that sounds simple, but when you, but we got a much smaller house for a lot more money <laughs> than we would have if we would have moved to a suburb where Beringer was, where the price points were were much much lower for much bigger houses, frankly. But as a result of that, my wife has worked in uh, New York and in Mamaroneck, and now and she worked uh, and now works in uh, New Haven. I've worked in. Uh, You know, about in Danbury, a little bit north of here and I commuted. I worked in New York for two years and now I work in Stanford, Connecticut. And so out of all of those moves, uh, we, we never had to leave our house. The commutes pretty much stayed the same. So simple things like that can help you. So you'll see people will go up to Boston and Cambridge because it's become such a hub for biotechnology. Uh, where you can, you know, you can make moves without having to move geographically, which let's face it, you know, as you get a family and your kids are in school, you you know, you're not enthusiastic about pulling up stakes. So it's, it's little things like that, that, you know, again, I like to maintain flexibility. It's probably another, you know, another issue for me. I, I've always tried to keep some level of flexibility, and those kinds of decisions can go a long way five, ten years later.
1: I know we've gone over our time just a little bit here, but I think just in case you've sparked something for somebody, I want to ask one last quick question. Sure. If a student is looking to pursue a law degree after graduation, what advice would you have for them?
0: You know, I, I think law is a is a fantastic education to have. I, I think the advice that I would give is get into the best law school you can get into because while I think you know, the ratings and, and whatnot on undergraduate colleges are probably a little bit overrated in terms of what they mean, it's, it's really more about the quality of the, of the education that you'll get at the school. At a grad school level, I think where you go to school and how well you do does count a little more. So get, the, get to the best law school you can get into, number one. Number two, I would say don't have a preordained notion about what you would do with the law degree because again, I look at the law degree the same way as I look at the pharmacy degree. The law degree helped me a lot in the non-legal position that I had. The pharmacy degree has helped me tremendously in all of my jobs. So don't look at it as a vocation as much as looking at it as a mindset or or an approach. And in terms of approach, I think a law degree is a a great way to go, and it has a lot of broader applicability. But don't think, okay, I'm going to go down and have this one very specific
1: path. Scott Terillion, 1985 graduate of Albany College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences. Thank you so much for giving us your time today and all your wisdom.
0: No worries. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure.
1: For more information or to schedule a tour, visit acphs.edu. You can tune in to all of our informative stories at acphs.edu forward slash podcast Each podcast is also available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and iHeart, giving you the opportunity to listen from a mobile device. Mark Occupation Station as a favorite, and you'll receive push notifications as soon as we publish something new. Occupation Station is also a proud member of the Pharmacy Podcast Network, the largest podcast content directory dedicated to the business and profession of pharmacy.